Waters. Hey, good to see you. Uh, my name is Wade Giffen, one of the pastors here. You uh, uh, hung out with Pastor Katie for a little while, now you can hang out with me. It's so good to be with you. Good to see those of you who are online as well. Um, as I look out into the room, I'm reminded that one of our major school districts must be on spring break this week. So those of you who are online, there's normally in the room, there's spring break, and give us a, give us a shout out. We'll be be glad, glad to hear from you. We're going to continue um, our journey uh, for Lent, and uh, to set the focus for that, I'm going to invite you to take a look at, um, at Luke. Our reading for today is in Luke chapter 13, and it begins at, um, at verse 30, 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox for me, listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, the, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me again until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word that instructs us, leads us, and guides us in how we might follow you. So bring your Holy Spirit alongside in this time so that your word comes through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Pastor Katie has um, identified for us, we are continuing this Lenten journey called Cultivate and Let Go. You know, it, it's a pretty simple premise. Uh, let go of some of that stuff in our lives to make some room and space that we might cultivate something new. And Lent is a season that just perfectly um, lends itself to that kind, that kind of thing. So, so we're using the Revised Common Lectionary, you know, the, the, the readings that are appointed for uh, each week, and we're using that on through Lent here. And this text we come today, you know, it's one of those that preachers, when they get to it, like, ooh, that one, right? <laughs> but then, man, I dug into it some in the last few weeks, and um, it's a pretty powerful thing going on here. It's, it's, it's complicated, and it feels a little bit mysterious uh, when you hear it, but so I want to explore it. And to help us with that, I'd like to set some context for what you just heard me read from Luke. And the, I want to begin by just starting at a really, really high altitude. I mean, where does this thing come in Jesus' life and ministry? And what, what we see when we, when we dive down a little bit is that, is that they have already left the region of Galilee and they are headed to Jerusalem, and this particular journey to Jerusalem ends at the cross, right? And back in chapter 9 in Luke's gospel, we see this really, really radical pivot in the whole direction and feel of Luke's gospel. And it almost seems like an insignificant verse when you're reading through chapter 9 until you see how it fits with today's text. It's chapter 9, verse 51, for those of you who would like, like to look at it, and it goes this way. 
It says, when the, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, the significant part of that is that last piece. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. So why is that significant for today's text? Well, it's tied up with what it means when we say to set one's face to something. It's the kind of thing that we do when we are really trying to make a, a monumental big decision that could, could go this way or it could go that way, each one of them really quite different. And then we come to the place where we go, it's, it's that one, right? And so when we make that decision, we say we, just, we set our face in that direction. It's kind of like, like gluing our gaze on the goal, or as we like to say, keeping your eye on the prize. So why is it important to, have, to understand that about the text for today? Because you will begin now to see in today's text, Jesus has resolve. He's, he has resolve. He has courage about the journey. He has no doubts about what he's doing. He clearly is not afraid of Herod or the authorities. And he is not afraid knowing what is coming when he hits Jerusalem. He has set his face. Do, do you see what he's doing there? He has set his face to Jerusalem. That's an important piece. The second context thing I want to just kind of point out is who Herod is in the story. I think sometimes when we read this text, we think this is the same dude when Jesus was born, King Herod at that point during the birth narrative. But this is not the same, the same guy. You know, that, that guy back in Jesus' birth who wanted, to, who wanted to find out where this child was being born so he could go and bow down and worship him. And we always know all along he wanted to try to eliminate him. So he sent, you know, the wise men to go find out where he is. That's not today's dude. But he is the father of today's Herod. So it's rolling down the generation. Now there's a little difference in our Herod today is not kind of the um, stature of king as his dad was because he's sharing the area. But I find it not so unconsequential that, that the region that Herod the son gets assigned is the kind of place Jesus is hanging. So they've still got an eye on him. He, he's a dude who kind of rose to biblical fame when he beheaded John the Baptist. Jesus cousin that that's our guy that's our dude another context thing that I think um, to look at is that that I, I need to tell you that there are things in today's text that scholars are in disagreement about and <laughs> imagine that right something in the Bible that two people don't uh, see eye to eye on and and when you run into something like that as either when you're studying uh, passages or like the preacher then we've got to make decisions um, about which way we're going to go. And so I, I made some decisions uh, for us. And one of those is, um, uh, one of those uncertain things is, is why are the Pharisees, why are they warning Jesus? What is the motivation they bring to it? Now here's the two camps. On the one side, there are those who are saying that they are warning Jesus out of a sense of care so that he knows what he's walking into. 
And then there's the other camp that says, well, what they're trying to do is scare Jesus into not going there, right? So which one, which one is it? So I had to make a decision. And here's my decision. It really doesn't matter. What really matters is, is the underlying thing that they expose when they say that about what's happening between now and the cross. And that is that there is, um, that there is this tension between God's prophet, and I did use the word prophet on purpose because in the text today, we're, there's all these references to Jesus using the word prophet. So that's on purpose. So there's this tension between God's prophet and a wicked ruler. And that undertow is going to be in everything we see from now to the cross. So to summarize for our text today, they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus is resolute. He has set his face to the journey that he knows includes the cross. He is resolute. Herod is going to be a key player in the drama. And um, as Jesus points out in the text today, that um, prophets have to, have to return to Jerusalem to die. You know that part where he says prophets don't die outside of Jerusalem. So there it is. That's what's going on. So as we think about cultivate and let go, what are some things that we can take from this text for a part of our journey? The first thing is this. I want to say is that there is a clash in the animal kingdom. Do you see that in the text? That, you know, animals get a lot of play in the text. Uh, we see that whole bit about the fox and the hen. Could we have two any more different uh, animals, right? The fox gets the first half of today's text. The hen gets the second half. And, and what we see is these two animals symbolize for us the alternatives. Here's where we are. You got the fox or you got the hen. Those are alter alternatives. On this one side lurks the fox. And Jesus uses the image of fox intentionally. Why does he do that? Because in the Bible, folks are used to the depiction of evil or the presence of something evil to be in the form of a dangerous or predatory kind of creature. I mean, it's the kind of creature that we would not engage. You want some examples? Let's look. Go to the creation story right there at the beginning. Satan is a serpent that you wouldn't want to deal with. Over in 1 Peter, the writer there says this, says the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And in the gospel lessons, we often get this, um, this juxtaposition between a wolf who wants to snatch God's lambs. Um, and man, go over to the book of Revelation, you get some crazy stuff over there, right? <laughs> I mean, here's this part where, you know, the um, evil is represented as a plague of locusts or scorpions coming from a bottomless pit. And the devil is like a great red dragon seeking to devour, devour God's children. As a, as a representative of the powerful who oppress God's people, Herod is labeled a fox, a devouring fox. So in the tension of the story today, on the one hand lurks the fox. Get a little bit later on, there's, there's another image. Jesus turns to a mothering image. 
And, and, and I love what this text does in the way that it gives Jesus an opportunity to reveal to us a more feminine uh, side to God. Often we only have these masculine images of God, but a more feminine kind of God and a mothering image. He, he likens his love for Jerusalem to, to being like a mother hen who instinctively draw her young under her wing when danger, when danger comes. Because his love is steadfast and, and, and she desires to gather her young to herself to be able to protect them. And it's intended for us to be able to see a very tender, loving image to describe God's love for us. So in the symbolism of these verses, evil is coming on like a fox. And a mother hen is lamenting because her young are exposed. What more, what more could she do to, than to stand up to the fox to protect her young? I mean, we get this. If you're anywhere close to, you know, my age or a 10 or 15 years younger, you'll remember that how many cartoons we used to watch that were based on a fox getting in the, in the chicken coop, right? I mean, that was a pretty common uh, thread uh, back, back in, in the day. It's the old, the old fox and chicken coop thing. And here's the crazy thing about this text. We often stop at the place where we get all these warm, fuzzy feelings around how Jesus talks about being like a hen who wanted to gather um, her brood under her wings. We say, ah, that's so beautiful, right? But we forget the last phrase that he tacks on there. And here's the punch. He says, and you were not willing you were not willing you were not willing to be gathered under my wings that's an indictment i mean jesus the the mother hen is trying to protect we chicks from the foxes but the chicks themselves jesus says were not willing to accept that protection how often have we seen ourselves knowing we need to be finding ourselves under the protective care and wings of Jesus, but we just don't do it. You see how the connection of the fox in the first part and the hen in the second part? Jesus gives us a glimpse of what they're up against in Jerusalem. And frankly, what we're up against as we go. Now, a second thing I want to point out um, as we think about cultivating and letting go is the word urgency. Everything in the text is urgent today, especially as Jesus starts talking about days. Do you see how many times he talks about a day in the text? He says, I've got today and tomorrow and then the third day and the next day, so i got to be on my way. Okay, so he's telling them how much time he's got left. Time is ticking. We've no time to waste. I have a limited time to accomplish God's purposes. The cross is the end point, so let's go. Do you, do you see that there's urgency in, in the text today? Back in 2008, a megachurch pastor and his wife um, published a book um, that is entitled One Month to Live, 30 Days to a No Regrets Life. And apparently it went to the New York Times bestseller list. Now I will confess to you, I have not read the book, 
but I got one of those handy summaries. <laughs> you know how we cheat, right? A handy summary of the idea of the book, and I took a look at it. And what I understand is the major idea of the book is to imagine, as a person of faith, what you would do with your life if you knew you had exactly 30 days to live. And then whatever that is, go do it. Well, that is a pretty interesting kind of thought experiment. I begin to wonder in my own life, if I knew I only had three days or 10 days or 30 days, by the way, I don't want to know, <laughs> do you? I don't want to know uh, how many days I have left. But if I do, what would I do? And so the guy who's the su who wrote the summary that I was reading said, I, I got curious, and so I Googled what people would do if they only had 30 days left to live, right? And he said they fell into these categories. I love this. He said, some talked about taking the trip they'd never thought they could afford and wanted to take because who cares about what's on your credit card after 30 days, right? <laughs> kind of like that. He said, some talked about reaching out to important people in your lives, writing a letter to friends or family, or taking time to write to somebody who had been a positive influence in your life to thank them. He said there was a category of those who were concerned about having their affairs in order. You know, their, their personal finances, writing a will, donating money to causes and to the church that were important to them. And then he said there was a category of people who just talked about, let's just live it out until that last day. Throwing parties, enjoying their favorite meals, playing games with their friends. And he says one of the most um, honest respondents, uh, wrote this. Uh, he says, I would eat all the junk food I can and not work out. Like that one. That's the situation for Jesus here in this text. He knows how many he's got left. That's a part of the urgency. He has a finite number of days to complete the task and he wants to communicate that with the kingdom of God, there is urgency. No waiting. No putting it off. John the Baptist, when he introduced Jesus, almost told us about this urgency. In that line where he says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. It's urgent. So what did Jesus do in the urgency? He set his face to Jerusalem. Even knowing what was waiting for him there. He went through the towns and the villages. He was teaching as he went along, but always pressing toward Jerusalem. So we come to a question for our journey of Lent. How, how does this impact us, our lives, during this time? Well, let's not forget that Jesus' context is our context. A, a finite period of time. Do, do you realize you only have a finite period of time? I do too. How do we make the best of the time that we have. We've said that Lent is in preparation for Easter. It's a season to be honest in our own lives. It's designed to allow us to do this hard work, this truth-telling about the many ways that we have fallen short. It's a season for us to recognize that and repent and turn around and go the other way. It's a, it's a season for us to, to recognize that stuff. And, and the word we often use is lament. Um, which is a, a kind of a deeper kind of groaning. It's not the same thing as just being sad or sorry for what we did, right? And that time for lament. You remember last week I even used the line, Lent's a perfect time to just turn ourselves in, right? Between today 
and Easter Sunday, there are 35 calendar days. Imagine you only have 35 days to live. That's the urgency. That's what we've got to work with. What can you do with these days with regard to your relationship to God and your relationship as a follower of Jesus to the world? 35 days. Now, we all have stuff. You got stuff? You got any stuff? We all got stuff that we put off in our lives. Stuff that we've probably had that we've been dealing with for years. Lots of years in some cases. And that stuff is still there. That stuff still plagues our lives. It, it still holds us back from really fully embracing and living to our fullest. So why put it off another year? Why put it off for tomorrow when it could be today? I mean, today's your day. Today's the day. Lent is a time for those things. It's a perfect time. Time's ticking, so why not now? You got 35 days. So that leads to my final thought for today. It's a thing that all of you have been wondering about if you, ever, if you saw my sermon title that came out in the email. Um, I don't know if it's on the screen or not. I don't think so. Sermon title is Eat the Frog. Okay, so I, I was a victim to a double dog dare. So um, sometimes I just can't overcome them, and I had to do it. I had to call the sermon Eat the Frog. But let me tell you why. Have you ever heard that saying, Eat the Frog? I, I know some of you have, but I have never, I'd never heard it before. Last Tuesday, when we were in our worship design team meeting, getting all the things buttoned down for today, and one of our staff members said, what you're talking about uh, that you're thinking about for the sermon kind of sounds like eat the frog. And I was like, what is that? So I got busy learning what it was. Well, I'm going to help you out. Apparently, it all started with a quote from Mark Twain. Anybody, any Mark Twain fans out here, right? And here's the quote that Twain is supposed to have said. Eat a live frog first thing in the morning and nothing worse can happen to you the rest of the day. Love that. And it became a foundation for a, a book that some dude wrote around in 2001. And some of you may be familiar with it from that book. Um, and the book was called Eat That Frog, 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating. Now, I haven't read the book. I don't know the merits of it. But I've procrastinated a time or two in my life of you. I'm not sure I could get through 21 <laughs> steps. You know, I'd procrastinate about step three or four. Who knows? But anyway, 21 great ways to stop procrastinating. It's not a religious book. But its basic idea is simple and appropriate for um, today. Uh, we should tackle the most difficult thing, the biggest thing, first and early. So, so the frog for the author is not only a task that you're likely to avoid, but it's also that it's probably the one that if you didn't avoid it, it could have the biggest impact on your life. The idea is that when we, is that we often just put off the harder, bigger thing until later, and we could just 
deal with the meaning the less meaningful things first because they're just they're just easier to fix but what's often true is that if we dealt with that other thing it could impact all the other stuff in our life as well and i think in the spiritual life it operates that way as well i mean let's face it we dilly dally around with all the little things rather than facing the one harder, often more painful things that if we actually dealt with that thing, it would unlock so much of our lives and potential. And oftentimes it's some dark, broken, shameful, we think, painful thing that's just too hard to face, to fess up with, to deal with. So what do we do? We let her linger. Or maybe a better word would be fester. And it manipulates our lives for years. Whatever that thing is, right? That's what Lent, Lent's designed to help us deal with that stuff. It's by design, built in to the, to the rhythm of our Christian lives. Dealing with it might feel like eating a live frog. It's gross. It's hard to do. But getting it done, getting it behind us, it might just allow us to jump some hurdles that we face. It may be the key to unlocking so much more grace in our lives than we could ever imagine. We got 35 days till Easter, 35 days to live, we might say. So what is it? Figure it out, decide on it today, and let's just eat the frog. Amen.